welcome to the Insatiable Appetite, Hartman's Food, Culture, and Insights podcast. Today, we're delighted to have Elizabeth Whitlow, Executive Director of the Regenerative Organic Alliance with us. Um, We'll be speaking with Elizabeth about the growing interest in regenerative farming practices and how, to date, um, the organization is the only regenerative certification that helps consumers understand the rules and systems that qualify a product as regenerative organic certified. So this is gonna be really great. We're gonna learn more about the process of becoming certified as regenerative organic, how it benefits farmers, ranchers, soil health, animal welfare, worker fairness. And um, that'll be the what we're gonna be talking about in today's episode. So I'm delighted to welcome Elizabeth. Hi Elizabeth, how are you doing today? Hey, Melissa. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. It was really fun getting to know you a little bit earlier and uh, think about your beautiful situation up there in the great state of Washington. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, happy to be here. Awesome. Thank you. So I have to say, Elizabeth, uh, the tagline um, on the website Uh, healthy soil equals healthy food equals healthy people is, to me anyway, fantastic. Can you share a little backstory about the Regenerative Organic Alliance and your role there? Yes, I'd love to. So that is a quote from Bob Rodeo. Uh, Actually, it was really his father. I have to go back, J.I. Rodeo. So the Rodeo Institute, Patagonia Company, and Dr. Bronner's are the three founders who really spearheaded this um the the whole alliance here the regenerative organic alliance and um they came together about gosh 2017 is when they first started talking about uh doing this this kind of building an alliance and bringing other stakeholders together to dream up what they wanted to see as their vision for the future of agriculture and if you know rodeo rodeo institute they have long been credited with bringing organic, um, a lot of education around organic through their publishing house and then um, research up at their main farm in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And really the whole emphasis came about when this businessman in New York City in the 1950s, late 40s, decided to um, kind of, he learned about agriculture through, through the eyes of Sir Albert Howard and Lady Eve Balfour and about healthy soil grew healthy plants mm-hmm. and that made for healthier people. And he really, it was such a simplistic kind of statement, um, but it's it really drives so much of the work that we're all doing. And what I think is really exciting about that is that um, we didn't know through science then, and even now we are just learning through this incredibly emergent field of soil science, what is going on in the soil microbiome. And, you know, a few years ago, I stumbled upon across the statistics, there are more living beings in one teaspoon of healthy soil than there are humans on the planet. Wow. And so if you just imagine that for a minute, like that's over 7 billion living microorganisms in a teaspoon of living soil. So there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack. And and soil scientists have only identified about 15% of those organisms and how they interact. And so there's so much complexity going on in our soil. And I think that is really just something that we have a lot to look forward to as as our science evolves. And we learn that actually, yes, indeed, the soil microbiome is incredibly important to building um, healthy farms, healthy growing healthy crops and growing healthy food. And so in the end, for humans, 
you know, our, we're, we're, we're also learning a lot about our gut microbiome and it's very reflective of the soil microbiome. And so, you know, as you feed your body, just like we feed the soil and that in turn feeds those plants and, and for us in turn feeds our bodies. And um, yeah, so we can dig into that more of that later, but I just wanted to, I, I guess I went off on a tangent there. I'll try and stay out of the out of the rabbit holes. <laughs> well, I, no, I, that's actually fascinating because um, our recent sustainability report that just came out, we we found in this this go round in 2023 that more consumers were making the connection between healthy soil and their own personal health, which we weren't hearing that in previous years of our research. So this is in lockstep essentially with like more consumers becoming aware of this. So it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, there's been a, a lot of awareness for, for many reasons, but I would credit probably a couple key films for this. Kiss the Ground really mm. swept around the world and really taught people what is going on in the soil and what is photosynthesis and reminding people of something that we may have forgotten from like seventh grade science class. Um, and so it's yeah. really important to understand that. So Kiss the Ground had a lot of impact. And then another film was called The Biggest little farm. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was what a, a fantastic. Yeah. So beautiful. And then, you know, they had so much success that they went on to work with National Geographic and Disney to make a whole series. And I think it really brought so many things to life for just normal consumers who don't get to know their farmers, who don't have that great privilege and honor to be able to maybe drive into um, to their neighbor neighboring farms and buy their food. And so once you start to learn how challenging it is to farm and how beautiful it can be, that it really can change your perspective. And, and I think the biggest little farm did a great job with that and kissed the ground as far as just educating people on the importance of soil. And now they've got this new film, The Common Ground. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but I'm, I'm uh, flying to Washington, D.C. next week to be there for the screening and speak on a panel um, with other stakeholders after they show that panel to um, in um, um, in DC to some policymakers. So, Fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. Elizabeth, tell, how, what's the difference then too, because it can be a little bit uh, confusing, I guess is a one way to say it is between the regenerative um, organic alliance and then the certification. Can you walk us through a little bit about what, how, how those came to be and like what the distinction is between each one of these um, arms of the company. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, those three leading organizations um, who spearheaded this were Dr. Bronner's Patagonia and the Rodale Institute. And um, they invited other experts in all these other fields of farming and ranching, soil health, animal welfare, and then also often overlooked in other sectors of agriculture, especially when you're looking at organic, is the farmer and farm worker fairness. Yeah. And so, um, you know, really having a different lens on our agricultural system so that we're thinking about those humans who also work on the farms and the animals. So um, unfortunately, you know, some of the reasons they came together initially was because there's this perceived downward pressure on the organic rule on the, the federal law for organic in this country because it allows hydroponics 
And there's a lot of people in the industry who really disagree with that, um, us included. And then the kind of factory farming of animals, where it's really hard to ensure that animals are really able to express natural behaviors, that those animals are treated in a way that has compassion and um, respect for any animal's kind of general um, tendencies to, for ruminants to be out on pasture, for poultry to not be stuck in a poultry house where they never go to see the light of day, really, even though they have a little door and they can get out, they never go out because they're not, it's not an environment that's conducive or inviting to the poultry. So we really wanted to re-envision or build on organic and create a new vision for agriculture that honored these other entities that make up any farm. And so, um, you know, the, the regenerative organic certified framework was designed by the members of this alliance. And it's uh, looked at through these three lens of there's um, soil health, animal welfare, and then the social equity. And there's different criteria listed out in the regenerative organic certified framework that um, address all of these different concerns. And, um, you know, instead of saying regenerative organic certified at every turn, I'm just going to say rock. Um, the rock framework. <laughs> just keep it short. There's a lot of syllables in here, a lot of uh, letters in the regenerative um, in in this work. And um, so, yeah, we just call it the rock um, for short. And you know, the the framework is really rooted in regenerative agricultural practices. But these practices are not modern creations. The term regenerative agriculture alone was introduced by a Dr. George Washington Carver, a black a farmer and scientist in Alabama back um, in early 1900s, but it was probably made most well-known by Bob Rodale, Robert mm-hmm. Rodale of the Rodale Institute. And we really look at this um, regenerative agriculture as a collection of practices with a focus on regenerating the soil, the health of the soil, and the full farm ecosystem. So, you know, a, a really holistic systems approach to the farm that is appropriate to that farm in its in its own unique site specific location on this planet and what are the what's the soil type in this region what's the microclimate like what are the cultural practices what crops are normally grown here and so you know that's kind of um how the regenerative organic certified framework was uh, written and what we're always aiming for is this very holistic and um, inclusive approach Oh, that is so well described. Thank you so much for just kind of painting that picture. And we often Mm -hmm. hear in our consumer interviews uh, when we're out there in the field with consumers doing our ethnographies that the USDA organic certification, to your point, you know, doesn't go far enough. Um, And in some cases, we hear from consumers that they feel like it's been watered down, but they say it's the best that uh, they have, you know, as something that's going to give them like, okay, it's going to be free from a lot of issues that they're trying to avoid. It's a safer product um, for their family. And so it actually sounds like, is it safe to say then that the ROC is ushering in a new era that goes um, even beyond organic? Um, I would say, I would agree with that. And I will say also to all my friends who I worked with for many, many years in the organic sector that, um, you know, I, I, that we're we want to be in this together and we are working with the organic sector to help keep it strong and to go um, into areas that the organic program never intended to 
to address, like labor is one good example. Another one is around the buyers section, which I'll get into some detail later. But, you know, our program is it's we are we serve the farmers, but we are it's very much brand driven. The brands are leading the way. And so we want the brands to pay the way and try not to put more burden on farmers who are already so overburdened with having to jump through all these hoops for compliance and certifications every time you know people think of a new thing like okay well now we're going to go for grass-fed or Mm grass-based and animal welfare and organic and so farmers keep having to jump higher and higher to get through these hoops and you know ideally what we would have instead of this kind of a system is we would have a system where the farmers who are using really um you know practices that are are extracting from the planet and degenerating the soil and polluting the water and polluting the air and hurting um you know exploiting the workers that those farmers should be the ones who really have to prove that they're doing the right thing but instead we have a a very backward system Mm -hmm. and so you know i think um that's one thing to point out but really this the other part about agriculture that i think the reason i've been working in agriculture my whole career is that it it's been a problem it's it's been a problem for many, for a long time, like industrial agriculture contributes to the climate crisis, to you know, factory farming and fracturing rural economies. And these things make it really, they're contributing to climate change and climate change is making it harder to farm. Mm-hmm. And so if we flip that over and we turn agriculture into something that is what it can be, which is solution to these things because by building healthy soil you sequester more carbon in the ground by paying workers a fair wage you build stability into a community where people can live there and send their kids to school there and afford to um, shop in those communities and and support those local economies and the same with the animals like this factory farming of animals is a is a huge contributor to climate change and to all kinds of all manner of pollution and so if you you know, get those animals out of the kind of feedlots and CAFOs and put them on pasture, then they actually do amazing things to regenerate this, the health of the soil and um, and grow healthy products. So yeah. those are yeah, some we, of the biggest goals. We forget about how health, how soil becomes healthy too, and that it often requires animals to, um, to create yeah. those rich nutrients. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, you need to get nutrients from somewhere. You cannot get all the nitrogen you need from most likely. I mean, I think you have to be an incredibly thoughtful uh, farmer to be able to grow the right kind of leguminous kind of um, bean and crops that fix nitrogen into the soil and find ways to, um, you know, build back the health of the soil if you try to do it in the absence of animals. I think animals are really important to um, the health of the farm, if you can incorporate them and in ways that that build the healthy soil, graze grass, and um, contribute with their both manure and and urine. And there's even studies that show that there is um, there is the between the saliva of a ruminant and the microbes in the soil, there is a really critical relationship, and it it activates and builds healthier soil faster. 
So there's no better way to build healthy soil than to bring animals onto the farm and manage them properly. Incredible. I, I just love this. And it's interesting, too, because when we're you know surveying consumers and they're telling us about the things that are important to them and that you're hitting on all of these things. So we know that animal welfare is important to consumers and that mm-hmm. has not historically been part of the USDA organic certification. And we know that uh, worker safety, worker fairness, um, fairness to farmers is increasingly, ever since the pandemic, increasingly important to consumers buying certain brands and products. They want to know that um, people are being treated fairly. So what's yeah. and that doesn't that doesn't necessarily show up in the organic certification either. So At this all. is where it's th- never it really. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so the the ROC is really showing that it's kind of encompassing all of these things. And then to your point, the the health of the soil, right? The the linchpin mm-hmm. of our own health is, you know, where our food is grown. And so how is it a challenge from where you're sitting to to, to convey this to the consumer? Because a lot more people know about uh, regenerative and increasingly more know about regenerative organic certification. Um, but there tend to be people who are already the consumer who already is in that world, essentially of sustainability, the younger consumer, the more um, inclined yeah. towards doing their own research. So what's the the challenge then with getting more people on consumers on board? Mm. Well, I mean, I, I think it's still very early on. We really just started getting a lot of products out to market in the last year. And so people are just starting to see the Regenerative Organic Certified Seal. And there are now other competing certifications as well for regenerative. And I don't want to look at it as competitive because I, I think we're like yeah. we are such a tiny fraction of agriculture. We need all of us to be working towards this. But I am worried about the greenwashing. I'm worried about consumers getting um you know straying away from organic because they think this other regenerative quote-unquote product is better so um you know I, it, for me it's really important for us to constantly educate consumers on why we need to tie regenerative to organic yeah and that those two need to be combined together and um you know i i do see that you know gen z and millennial shoppers they are the country's largest buying group and they are very conscientious consumers they want to know the products they're purchasing not only do less harm but they actually do uh, good things right and so they also shop with their smartphones and they look at you know they're they're doing they're swiping their phone while they're shopping and they're 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 under they're a lot more savvy right and they also have a lot less tolerance for greenwashing and so um, I think, you know, they're a more discriminating and demanding group and they're all starting to have babies. And that is one way that really changes buying behaviors, I think, as young parents who want to ensure that they're eating the healthiest things they can while they're while they're having babies. And then also as they're feeding their babies that they and their children, that they are feeding them food that is not going to make them sick. Not, you know, like look at the ep- epidemic of of health-related illnesses we have here and diabetes alone. And so, you know, I think there's a real trend moving towards that of people trying to really um, address that for their own health and the health of their families. And so buying a regenerative organic products is something that um, seems to be really swaying these types of consumers. And, um, you know, I'd say that's otherwise, you know, consumers don't really have a, a good window 
to look through to authenticate a producer's regenerative claims because mm. uh, without third-party verification. So that's why I think our port program is really important. We work with accredited certifiers. We work with organic certifiers, in fact. And so we can do a bundled audit so that, that the organic farmer um, doesn't have to have set up two different audits throughout the year. That's basically on this at the same time with the same auditor who's doing the organic audit will then um, go on and do the regenerative organic audit. And so That's there's a really incredible, rigorous program, like certification process built into our program. That's really great. And I wanted to just piggyback onto something you said about how, you know, the personal health and these uh, Gen Z, the older end of Gen Z and millennials are having kids, they're having their babies and, you know, safety uh, with food is is really um, so critical. And, you know, we've been at the Hartman Group too, you know, the, the lead in with sustainability, you know, the, the broad term has been about, you know, climate change. And while many mm -hmm. consumers, they cited that, you know, regenerative farming, like it's about soil health and climate change. But what you were saying too, I think is fascinating because you were, you know, connecting it back to the health, the family health of the self. And yes, of course, the health of the planet and community is really, really crucial. But we have found that, you know, really being able to access those consumers is primarily through like, this is not just good for the plant, it's good for you. It's actually really good for you. So mm -hmm. that's a that's a really um, wonderful point uh, that you made there. And it's just great to see um, that m the younger consumers are, are, are so much more diligent, they're so much more vocal, um, and they're far, in many ways a lot more educated about food than previous generations at their age. So you had mentioned that, you know, there's a lot out there and there's like the the dangers of greenwashing around, you know, using regenerative as a, you know, a claim. So, you know, this is something that we have seen here at the Harbin Group that regenerative is showing up an awful lot, but it isn't really necessarily backed. Um, they're they're claiming regenerative. Um, perhaps it's a little bit lazily. Um, so, yeah. so, what is your, you know, how do we combat that for the consumer to be able to say like this? Is it through demonstrating the organic aspect and that there's all these rigorous rigorous um, efforts made with the certification, the dual certification, essentially that you were talking about? Because that really does suggest um, not just a premium product, but, uh, you know, value along with values too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that is the, the million dollar question. Like, how do we convey this to consumers? They're super busy. And, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're looking at that point of sale moment, you've got a, a fleeting moment to get their attention and they're confronted with a whole array of bugs or seals, whatever you want to call them on products when they're shopping. And I think like, as you and I were talking about, we're, we're kind of, we're those true naturals who are, I'm reading every label and I'm, I'm always investigating what I'm buying, but people don't always do that. And they, they need to have a label they can trust. And so I think that's really what, what we're establishing ourselves to be the most credible and robust certification for regenerative that is available. And we just need to really keep pushing and getting more and more products out onto the marketplace. So we have more opportunity to, to educate the consumers. We've got some amazing brands who are in our cohort. It's uh, it kind of blows my mind, honestly, the, the brands and the farmers we get to work with are so dedicated and they're doing amazing work to um, just advance this 
this whole movement and they do a really good job educating their consumers and they have their core consumers who already trust them. And so it's right. really been super helpful from my view. Like we've got 120 licensed brands right now. And, um, you know, like any one of those, like if Lundberg family has been amazing, um, homegrown, they're like this whole, it was one fruit grower down in uh, Peterson fam Vernon Peterson came on. He's had lots of fruit down near Fresno. He brought on like 15 other farmers in his region and they supply big markets. And um, so, you know, when we get those kind of growers joining us and starting to be, you know, present at all the West Coast Whole Foods, for example, mm. or um, even perhaps Costco, if we get, you know, big enough, it's kind of hard because, you know, these are farms that are not huge farms they're they're um, more diverse and not quite like you know the scale of a farm that is selling everything to um kroger or safeway or costco so yeah there's this there is definitely a challenge as we continue to grow the movement but we are bringing on some incredible brands and um they really have a lot of trust from their consumers and so that helps a lot we have a farmer directory and a brand directory on our website so love to point your listeners to the regenorganic.org website where they can look at the map and see the um, millions of acres we have now certified. We have over 320 or 30 different types of crops that are being grown and 800 different product types. So we're making headway. Yeah, that's fantastic. And the brand directory too, is that something like if um, someone was going to look for, like you mentioned Lundberg Rice, um, they've been an organic yeah. rice brand for so many years, one of the, you know, OG in terms of like the brands of yes. organics. Totally. So how, yeah. If someone wanted to go and check it out, like, would they be able to see like, oh, okay, I recognize those brands. This yep. is kind of, and then they would go look at, for it in the store or is there, a, yeah. what's the best way? Well, that they can look at our product and brand directory and they'll find um, all of those different entities. Lundberg, the Lotus family, they were in our pilot. Um, yeah, Ancient Nutrition is another one that's just been carrying the torch and Guayaki. Like there's there are so many I could only just begin to list. Uh, well, there's 120, I guess, so it's not that many, but um, you can find them on the product list and also on the package. Like we're really working to um, we, we uphold the NOP, the National Organic Program Labeling Law, because part of our our recognized trademark is the word organic certified. Mm -hmm. So um, we uphold the NOP labeling guidelines. And so we follow that same, all the same processes. So products that have a made with regenerative organic certified ingredients means they have 70 to 95 percent of the product contents contain regenerative organic certified ingredients. Mm -hmm. If it's an or, a regenerative organic certified, um, like rice or coconut or something like that, that's like 95 to 100 percent. And so, um, you know, you'll find that and then they can use the logo. They can use our seal, which we worked really hard to become mm. approved for that certification mark, regenerative organic certified. And we are now approved in the U.S., EU, Japan and the U.K. So, um, you know, oh. It, it is really good. It was kind of amazing. People said we would never get approved. And somehow, you know, we have a, we developed a really rigorous kind of process um, for launching this and followed the best practices of international standards holders and scheme owners, what they call them. 
And so I really set us up following those same processes. And so we have um, a, a very reliable program and a really good quality system following ISO 1765, which is what um, like international standards organization uh, requires for any kind of certification scheme. Now, does that now some the folks had said, "Oh, you're never going to get this um, this through." Was it because it's so daunting? Was it because it's so much more um, stringent and more difficult to check all the boxes? Like, why why were people skeptical? Uh, because they said this is um, it's it's such a generic claim to say something's regenerative organic. Mm. Like, it's not it's descriptive. Of this. So it was it, it was initially rejected on that basis. It's kind of like. When American Airlines, I mean, I don't know if this is the best example, but think about American <laughs> Airlines wanted to trademark American Airlines and the, the U.S. Principal Trademark Office is like, well, no, there's lots of those out there. So they had to go and prove why they earned the right to that trademark. And having that trademark allows us to really defend our marks and our seal and our standard and say, you cannot use this unless you have met this standard. And so, you know, being a certification mark, they went through all of our documents, all of our standards to ensure that we really did have a clear definition and a, and a rigorous process in which we um, defined it. And what would the journey look like for an average organic product to become certified regenerative organic? Uh, well, there is so if they're already organic, so they're eligible as long as they can demonstrate that they are incorporating um these regenerative practices and so some of those core practices just quickly to list like in as far as the soil health goes is that you keep the ground covered as much as possible so you're not eroding and losing the soil we're losing topsoil at unprecedented rates mm. around the globe scientists are saying that we have about 50 harvests left in fact so we need to keep the soil covered so that it doesn't blow away and wash away you don't want to uh, till the soil more than you need to because that destroys that beautiful soil microbiome we talked about earlier. Um, you want to have a really complex kind of uh, crop rotation. At least our requirement is at least three crops at the minimum level. We have three tiers, bronze, silver, and gold. Um, so producers, you know, they enter in typically at bronze and bronze is very hard to attain. So it's a really, mm -hmm. it's not a, like a low bar attainment yeah. um having uh, bringing in more biodiversity is really important and then incorporating animals whenever possible those are kind of the core principles in the soil health pillar for the animals you know we we go through um all the different principles the five basic animal freedoms um where they're you know the animals live a life that where they're free to express natural behavior freedom from fear and stress and hunger and uh, discomfort and those things that seem kind of normal, but, um, you know, it's not typical when you look at like a pigs in a gestation crate or yeah. some of the kind of more horrific examples of factory farming, which are pretty appalling. And so none of that happens on our farms. Um, and then of course that social pillar, there's uh, different areas in the social pillar that are really difficult. So an operation that doesn't have any farm animals doesn't need to do the animal welfare. Mm -hmm but um, they do have to do the social fairness. And so um, they would have to demonstrate and be, uh, you know, open to revealing their pay, how much they pay their workers. If they provide worker housing, that they show that these this is safe, um, clean housing, that they have safe working conditions, that there's some form of um, 
you know, freedom of association. Nobody's, there's no human trafficking. There's no child labor. All those really kind of core principles that you may think are happening everywhere on farm actually aren't. We have a lot of undocumented workers in our agricultural systems here, and therefore these people are not protected. And therefore we see a lot of pretty egregious violations of human rights, um, even here in the U.S. So yeah, farms have to apply. They describe to us all the ways they meet our standard. And um, and then we we match them up with a certifier in their area. They get an inspection and then the certifier sends an auditor out for, for that inspection. The auditor submits a report and the certifier makes that final decision recommendation to us. And then we issue them a certificate and they're off and running. Cool. Wow, that's yeah, really the cool. The process also just um, cost wise, just because everybody always wants to know about costs and our right. fees are, are quite low. It's $250 for a farm to get certified if they're under a million dollars in sales. And it's $500 okay. if they're over. Yeah. But then they do Fair have to enough. pay for the yeah. audit. Yeah. That, that has to be paid for to the certifier. That's great. That's really great to hear because that's what we hear at so many farmers markets say, like, I just can't afford it. But it sounds like when the brand is able to take on more of that burden and that you're enabling farmers to be able to, you know, have it affordable, that that's fantastic to hear. That's really great. Um, and can I and just comment on that too, Melissa, oh, yeah, because please, please. I hear that a lot. And after working right. in organics for 16 or 17 years, there was cost share program that that would pay up to 75% of the farmer's cost for certification up to $750. And um, it dropped down to only 50%, but oh. now it's back. Mm -hmm. And the USDA just put $300 million into um, one of the recent bills to help farmers transition to organic. So there's a lot of assistance out there more and more. Yeah. And while organic isn't perfect, it's still the best thing we have. And there are there are um, definitely like if you consider your marketing budget, if it's a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars for a business for the year, that's that's a pretty good use of your marketing yeah. dollars for an organic farmer to not have to explain to every consumer who walks by their farm stand um, that they're, you know, they use organic methods, but they're not certified because it's right. too, too much of a pain in the butt, you know. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's really great information too. And so now there's just so many more brands. It's exciting to see um, over the years since um, the ROC came into being that, you know, more and more brands are being added to the roster. And so, and you talked about how there's a directory um, that folks can go and look up the brands on there and the farmers um, in whichever region that you're in, you can kind of map it there. That's so neat. And, you know, what are some next steps now that you've got more and more brands coming into the fold? Are there plans or anything that you can tell um, our listeners about what might be next for um, the Alliance as well as for um, within the certification? Yeah. Um I think what's next is we continue to manage the load, the demand that we've had on us and build our team so that we can streamline things a little more and um, turn things around faster. We, we've been a pretty small team and we're still quite small compared to the kind of demand that we're, we're receiving. So I think we'll continue to grow our organizational capacity. And with that, I really want us to do more to educate consumers 
and help the retailers. We hear from a lot of retailers and they really are interested in this, but they need help to educate their cons- their staff and therefore their consumers on what it all means. So I'd love us to get into that. And then finally, my dream is that we find some big pot of gold and we can create this program to have these regenerative organic certified flagship farms where we fly a big flag and we use those farms in every community. We pay those farmers to be like this beacon of light in their community and, and host workshops and teach other farmers about the methods they're implementing because farmers definitely learn best from one another rather than people mm-hmm. outsiders coming in and telling them how to do things is you know looking over the fence and seeing how she's growing her corn yeah. or her field of crops over there and adopting her methods and then suddenly you know you're you're catching on and the next neighbor is trying to do that and so really to try and build that kind of um just build a little bit of a groundswell by um helping farmers in a region be uplifted as like heroes and sheroes in their in their own communities would be a dream so yeah maybe next year we'll have somebody to help us go look for some funding to do something like that that's fantastic. I hope to see that. Um, and so with retailers too, you mentioned that retailers are asking about, you know, what, they're always looking for new interesting ways to connect with their shoppers. So mm-hmm. might there be shelf tags or, you know, um, or is yeah. there a specific retailer that you might want to lead with to really help um, kind of put out the message and the, you know, fun, fun, interesting education of um, regenerative mm-hmm. organic. What might be some yeah. plans in that area or, or hopes, I should say? Yeah, well, up in your area, I'm hoping to talk to the Puget Sound co-op. They, they were really interested early on. And when they came to me, we only had like seven products. So we didn't have enough to really do anything, but now we have a lot. So it's time to circle back to them because I think that's a really educated group of consumers and a really awesome group um, that that whole uh, Puget Sound Co-op. And Whole Foods has been phenomenal. Sprouts has been really keen to uh, bring this product to market and help educate their consumers. So, you know, I think leaning in on those and then other more independent natural food stores and some other kind of, you know, like really culty ones, Erewhon Market, for example, Mm -hmm. down around LA, like they've done a lot to bring um, ROC products to to their consumers. And I I hate to say it, but, you know, influencers really can make a big difference. For Um, sure, yeah. (laughs) So when you're like talking about like, you know, whoever you can get to um, be drinking like a regenerative organic certified coffee at their coffee shop or something and swaying others in that direction. Like I'm all about it. Um, Yeah. So some, some of those smaller retailers um, or not, you know, not necessarily smaller, but more independent, I should say. Um, Thrive has been awesome. They're also really, yeah, they're, they've been great natural grocers. Um, so yeah we've still got so much work to do and it's really we've had a lot of focus on the farm side and and i did tell you earlier i was gonna explain how we're different in the buyer's criteria or the brand perspective and i want to maybe i know we're probably running short on time but i'll end with that perhaps is the brands um they also need to fill out this brand regenerative organic system plan and tell us how they're paying what kind of premiums they're paying to the farmers and how they're signing long-term contracts and supporting the farmers for the long term. And so I think that's a really unique 
in in certifications that you have brands who are doing that and and i find the brands are really jumping on board and uh it's been great to work with them and see that and we're also not just food um well it's food and beverages of course we've had a lot of growth in beverages like um, teas and coffee but we're also personal body care and textiles and there's a lot going on in fashion world where the fashion industry is looking at itself in the mirror and going oh like Mm -hmm. goodness we got a really dirty dirty (laughs) image to clean up and so there's a lot of amazing fashion brands who are joining in with us you can find patagonia of course as a founder but outer known uh prana Mm -hmm. eileen fisher um gallant international or terra threads and um there are others there are certainly others but um yeah it's something that i think is worth looking at it's um timberland that's another i've been really interested since the beginning so yeah that's exciting as well Tremendously exciting. So we've got food, more and more beverage coming on board, uh, and the textiles and the health and beauty. Um, that's also really exciting. You know, in the body, on the body. It's you, you're covering it there. So that's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Spirits too, Melissa. Like wine and beer and spirits are really there's a huge potential there. So wine already because. Wine grape growers, they're already, you know, they're working on different margins than somebody who's growing kale or carrots. And, um, you know, they've always tend to lead with organic and biodynamic. And so we've got a lot of really amazing wineries who have come on board. That's Bonterra and Tablas and um, Gergich Cellars. We've got five Austrian um, operations coming in in the next week or two. Um, We've got Chandon, uh, Domaine Bousquet, like, yeah, uh, a lot. I, I, you'd have to look at our, our yeah. directory, but so a lot of great wineries and spirits. We have mm-hmm. a new one, brand new. It's called Anytime Spirits. And they're, I think, really going to turn the industry upside down. They're two very dynamic young women who worked in like complex supply chains at Chipotle and one other, mm-hmm. um, I forget, Daily Harvest or something. And they really understand supply chains and they really want to make a difference in the world. And so they're coming in with the first um, grains um, with vodka and gin, I believe, are their first two. But, you know, if we could just convert 900 million acres that grow um, Roundup Ready corn and soy in this country to growing grains that are used for bread and beer and spirits, we would be doing great. And we'd help those farmers out. So I love that. Oh, I love it. The diversity here is so fantastic. Um, I'm so excited to, you know, revisit this topic to Elizabeth and come back and just see, you know, periodically we're going to have to touch base and just say, share more about what's going on. And, and I'm really excited too to see how retailers are going to be helping because that's oftentimes where we hear that consumers learn is is at the retailer, um, whether it's like an, um, you know, online e-commerce with Thrive or in person like the great folks over at PCC here in the Pacific Northwest or Whole Foods and Sprouts like that is a great way for consumers to learn so I'm looking forward to um to seeing more in that space but um I just want to first of all thank you so much for all of this insight and you just walking us all through you know this journey from you know Rodale and then to the Alliance and then to the certification, it's really fascinating. Um, can you tell um, our listeners to exactly like what that to go and find out more about and search, search those directories too? 
Yeah, go to yeah to our website at regenorganic.org. And then um, Rodeo has some really awesome research. And I think one of the reasons that really is driving a lot of this growth and interest in regenerative is um, clearly that, you know, people get this climate angst and yeah. fear. And this is something that can give you hope. And uh, Rodeo publishes some really great research on this and their white papers. There's the power of the plate, which is all about health and how your food and your dietary choices affect your health and how your food's grown. It plays into that. And there's going to be a lot of research coming up uh, about nutrient density. And nutrient mm -hmm. density is a really, it's kind of, I think it's going to be the next, like how soil science has been for the last five years. Nutrient density will be the next frontier where if you're buying a carrot grown in regenerative organic healthy soil, it's going to have a thousand times the vitamin C or fiber or whatever as right. this carrot here. Like that's going to be a really, um, I think that's going to be game changing and, um, and seems like we're really on the edge of that kind of research starting to show up. And Rodale's definitely been doing that for some time. I want to invite you, Melissa, if you don't know my friends at Rodale, they um, were just gifted the Cascadian farm, which is right up kind of near you. Oh my and goodness. And if you ever yeah. wanted to visit, I would be happy to connect you with, um, with my friends there and you could go visit that farm and probably not in the winter but maybe want to wait till spring but you know they just got that as um, endowed to them as a research farm so now that's their sixth farm where they're conducting research showing conventional compared to organic compared to regenerative organic and um, could be a really great place um, to maybe do a future podcast absolutely i know some of my uh, colleagues and buddies are here at the hartman group will uh be wanting to carpool with me up there <laughs> so yeah. we'll have to yeah. definitely uh connect on that oh thanks so much elizabeth well yeah i just want to really thank you for the time today and thank everyone for listening and i'm going to be um, putting in the show notes all of the details about you know how you can learn more about regenerative whether it's at rodale and um elizabeth you mentioned a few different movies like kiss the ground and biggest little farm and common ground that you're going to be going to uh next week yeah. in dc so i'll i'll put I'll, some links to those um in the the show notes so um so mm -hmm. folks can go and find out a little bit more and we'll include the uh website for um regenerative organic too so please. brilliant yeah please thank and you in our, our instagram the insta like we we're pretty we're more active on insta and, and linkedin i guess than anything we do send out a newsletter once a month or so we're not super obnoxious <laughs> we we don't have enough time to write a newsletter every week so you get it about once a month if you sign up for our newsletter but it's um always got good good information in it and like kind of new hot items and what's next so yeah please have a look so, and sign up and thank you so much yeah just your remind us what your interest. what's your instagram handle for or is it roc uh, it's or? just re, uh regen organic got it cool yep all right yeah. then well thank you so much elizabeth and um, thank you, everyone, for listening. And um, again, this is Melissa Abbott, uh, Vice President of Syndicated Studies here at the Hartman Group. And uh, thank you for listening today. Bye.